I don't know if you're up to speed on the statistics, but the fact is we live in one of the most wealthy cultures the world has ever known. Now, that's a hard thing to measure because of the comparative nature of wealth. But as far as we can tell, we're one of the wealthiest cultures that has ever lived. Some would argue the wealthiest culture that has ever uh, existed on the face of the planet Earth, as far as nations go, at least. Now, with wealth comes blessing, opportunity, right? Wealth is a resource, a tool to be used. But what we have to remember, and what Revelation chapter 18 warns us about, is that wealth also comes with a dark side. It comes with a temptation, a proclivity to idolatry. Now, right away here this morning, talk about a wealthy country. I start talking about wealth, and some of you are thinking, Pastor Ryan, I'm not wealthy, right? Yeah, raise your hand. No, don't raise your hand. That'd be weird. Uh, we, when we talk about wealth, we're always comparing to, you know, other people. That's kind of how we live. That's just how human beings function. But I just was, was reminded this week of Pastor Andy's old line that he used to tell us, that if you have more than one pair of clothes, a set of clothes in your closet, that you are, st- statistically speaking, wealthy on planet Earth, okay? So if you have more than one shirt and one pair of pants, if you have more than one pair of shoes, congratulations, you're wealthy. And uh, go, get, go get the next episode of Forbes, or uh, next issue of Forbes, and see if you made the list. So I don't know if you made the list, but everybody who's in this room this morning would be categorized wealthy on the world scale. So here we are. We live in a wealthy culture, and we are wealthy. We don't worry about where our next meal is going to come from, right? We have uh, provisions to uh, meet our daily needs and much, much, much more. There are blessings that come with living in a wealthy culture. But man, the dark side is dark. and The temptation to greed and materialism is everywhere. It really is in the air that we breathe. This particular expression of idolatry, greed and materialism, right? The pursuit of money and the pursuit of possessions uh, to find satisfaction. It, it kind of has this domino effect where as we, we breathe the air of our culture, we may get passionate for money. We, we want more money or material things. We want the, the bigger, the better things. And so then we will follow the crowd around us to get those things. Everybody else is chasing those things, and we alluded to it last week, but if everybody else wants it, then it must be good. So we go along with the crowd, and we chase after money or possessions. Now, as an example of what that would look like 2,000 years ago when John was given this vision in Revelation, you could think about in, in these towns in Asia Minor, uh, everybody was chasing you know, prosperity and wealth, just like we do. And let's just say you pr- had a particular trade that you worked in. Well, you were, uh, you were a carpenter or you were a, a seamstress. Well, your trade would have a guild, a group that would kind of be uh, you know, uh, like, almost like a union, you might say. But these trade guilds all were organized around the worship of Roman gods or goddesses. So let's just say you become a follower of Jesus, but you're a seamstress or you're a carpenter. And now the trade guild meeting is happening at the temple to such and such god or goddess. And you have to participate in the worship service at the temple. You have to eat the feast, the meat that's sacrificed to the god or goddess. And you have to do that, guess what? So you can get the next job. Or so you can get the promotion. So you can stay employed. And maybe it's not about having the bigger house. Maybe it's just about putting food on the table. But there was a temptation to compromise in pursuit of wealth and luxury. Today, it's the same game, different specifics, right? If you want to get the promotion at work, you've got to go out drinking with the boss and get drunk. 
because that's cool. That's what they're doing. Or you've got to fudge the numbers on the report to make it look good. Or you know what? You're, it's a little tight in that neighborhood, in that house you're living in, and so you've got to maybe cut some corners on the, the taxes there and be a little less than forthcoming about all of your income so that way you can make the payments. You know, blessing can, or wealth can be a blessing, but it comes with a wicked dark side. In Revelation chapter 18, we have this, another prophetic preview of the destruction of Babylon. And don't forget, Babylon, for first century readers, would have equated to Rome. But for us today, it, it equates to our culture and really any and every culture that stands in rebellion against God. Just as a reminder, those cultures, including ours, will be judged by God. This chapter is actually, it's a blistering prophetic critique of idolatry, specifically the idolatry of greed and materialism. And as we get into this chapter, I just want to encourage you that this maybe is one of the most acceptable sins that we tolerate in the church in America, the pursuit of of money and materialism as a means of satisfaction. This chapter reveals just how ugly greed and materialism really is. So let's unpack it here, starting in verse 1 again. We'll walk through this chapter. Uh, John writes, After I saw this, right, so continuing the, the vision of the fall of Babylon, He says, after this, I saw another angel with great authority coming down from heaven, and the earth was illuminated by his splendor. We don't know who this angel is as far as an identity specifically of which angel or what his role was, and we don't know all the reasons why uh, the earth was illuminated by his splendor other than to say this judgment that he's describing is worldwide. So it just continues to show the worldwide concern of God's ultimate judgment at the end. So there's no hiding from this judgment. There's no escaping, uh, you know, the, the judgment of God for this idolatry. Verse 2, this angel calls out. He called out in a mighty voice, It has fallen! Babylon the Great has fallen! She has become a home for demons, a haunt for every unclean spirit, a haunt for every unclean bird, and a haunt for every unclean and despicable beast. Okay, so we're actually well equipped to understand what's going on in this verse, because although uh, John picks up on terminology from the prophets, especially from Isaiah in this case, he picks up on this terminology, but he says basically there's been this reversal of fortune in Babylon or Rome, whatever, the, the, the seat of luxury, the seat of wealth. It's now become a haunt, right? It's become a deserted city. All you have to think of, just think of Walking Dead or uh, I Am Legend or any of those you know, zombie shows where you see these cities that used to be prosperous and now they're eerie and they're empty and they got super weird looking dogs that are roaming around and like, you know, like that's this. This is where they, this is where they got the idea for those shows, FYI, right? It's right here. And again, this is, again, picking up on prophetic themes from the Old Testament and Isaiah, but it's the reversal of fortune that's significant. What was glorious and luxurious and everybody wanted it, it was the capital of, of everything that anybody would desire. Now it's, well, you don't want to be caught there alone at night, that's for sure. It's been judged. Babylon the Great has fallen. Let there be no mistake, the importance of this announcement is this is where godless culture is going. This is, this is the end point of that train. This is where it's headed. It might not look like it today, but this is where it's headed. 
Why are they getting there? Well, again, it's judgment for idolatry. Watch verse 3. For all the nations, this is not one nation, all the nations have drunk the wine of her sexual immorality, which brings wrath. Again, that's a, a metaphor for their idolatry, right? They've been unfaithful to God. The kings of the earth have committed sexual immorality with her, and the merchants of the earth have grown wealthy from her sensuality and excess. Note, it's, it's government and commerce here are, are specifically identified. Government and commerce are both drunk with this, this thirst for material possessions and greed and, and money. Like they, they want more, the luxury, the excess. And so it's not just a government problem. It's not just an economic problem. It's, it's the whole system, right? It's all of it. And again, it's not limited to one nation. And so here, just right at that moment, we say, okay, wow, that's sobering, right? Another reminder that Babylon will be judged. But don't forget, we live in Babylon, which leads to verse 4. The crucial turn here, actually, in this part of the vision. Then I heard another voice from heaven. Come out of her, my people, so that you will not share in her sins or receive any of her plagues. You see, because today, right now, Babylon is not a haunt. We're doing fine. The nation is wealthy. We have everything we need. We can pursue luxury and, and have what we want and have long Christmas lists that we can easily fill and, and rejoice and celebrate in all of that and try to seek fulfillment in that. So as we walk along with Babylon and as we breathe this Babylonian air, right, the, the problem is that we, even as followers of Jesus, we are infected with the idol of greed and materialism. It's all around us. And maybe we're not even aware how much it affects us. So in that context, imagine walking to work one day or walking into Costco or headed to, heading to the Apple store or wherever it is, right? You're going, going into Target and they say, welcome back, Mr. Boys. It's so nice to see you again, right? Like, like we're going all the places we go and imagine hearing the voice, come out, come out of her, my people, wake up. Now that's actually an allusion to Jeremiah Jeremiah chapter 51, where God, through the prophet Jeremiah, calls his people to separate from the sinful culture in which they lived, right? Come out of her. Now, this is not in, in the first century nor today. It's not a physical leaving, right? He's not saying, as we often joke, move to Idaho and, and you know, buy a compound and, and isolate from the culture. No, this is a moral separation from the culture. It's a worldview distinction where we say, I live in this culture, yes, but this is not my home. And what the culture values and chases, I will not value and chase. I have to be different. So the calling here, come out, come out, my people, right? Come out of her, my people. Why? So that you will not share in her sins or receive any of her plagues. Because the fact is, if you claim to be a follower of Jesus, yet you worship the gods of our culture, the fact is you may not be a follower of Jesus at all. There's the warning. And it's, listen, greed and materialism, they're pretty sins. They look good. But make no mistake, verse 5 for her sins are piled up to heaven, and God has remembered her crimes. You can imagine a judge with a stack of cases he has to deal with, and that, that stack starts on earth, and it gets so high, it goes all the way up to heaven. That's how bad the greed and materialism issue is, okay? It's that bad. So bad, God must intervene to deal with it. And then verse, verses 6 through 8, where there's a focus here on actually genuine 
fair treatment and justice from God himself. The only true justice that can be found. Pay her back, verse 6. Pay her back the way she also paid. And double it according to her works. In the cup in which she mixed. Mix a double portion for her. Now that might sound harsh because it sounds like give her double punishment for her sin. But the point is not that. God's the one dispensing justice, so it'll be right. The point is this. We don't think it's that big of a deal. And they probably didn't think it was that big of a deal. But it is a big deal. And so mix up the the double dose of judgment just so that it will be clear to everyone just how evil and wicked this is. What? The greed, the materialism, pursuit of luxury, the idolatry. He goes on in verse 7. As much as she glorified herself and indulged in her sensual and excessive ways, give her that much torment and grief. For she says in her heart, I sit as a queen. I am not a widow. I will never see grief. I'm amazing. I'm bulletproof. Right? All of that. That's Babylon's arrogance and defiance there. Really, denial. There will never be a day of judgment. I'll never have to answer for any of this. And so just keep on pursuing the, the excess, the luxury, whatever else it is. For this reason, John writes, verse 8, for this reason her plagues will come in just one day. Death and grief and famine. She will be burned up with fire because the Lord God who judges her is mighty. The fact is, it may have taken generations to build that wealth and have all that luxury and excess, but it's going to turn on a dime. It's going to turn in one day. And that's a quotation from Isaiah. The fact is here, the picture is meant to be a sobering picture, especially to followers of Jesus. Don't get caught up in the madness. We could say it this way. We're supposed to separate from the system. Separate from the system. Come out of her, my people. Wake up. Look around you. Think about what you're involved in and what you're pursuing. Think about what your heart is chasing and and desiring. Separate from the system. And here for believers, the specific call is to come out. To come out of Babylon. And again, that coming out is not literally leaving, but it's rejecting the immorality of our culture and what it values. So we have to say no to what the culture says yes to. And which this is very difficult for us because, again, it's hard to know how much we've been infected with it. They are pretty sins. So what does the pursuit of luxury or the pursuit of wealth or the pursuit of materialism look like in our life? Well, really, it starts with pride. It starts with a self-focus that I want what I want or I want what they have or I want to be, uh, have that same status or whatever, right? So there's a self-focus, but then the self-focus turns into then materialism or pursuit of whatever I have to do to get the things that I want. So it could be the bigger house or the house in the particular neighborhood. It could be the nicer car or the car that drives itself or whatever it is, right? It could be the next, the newest phone. Hey, did you hear they're making a new iPhone? Yeah, that's a joke. They're always making a new iPhone. Have you figured it out yet, right? I've got to have the particular phone, the fashion. I've got to have these clothes from this store, the stuff that's hard to get, right? I've got to have the right gaming system and the bigger screen and the, the fancier remotes and the, whatever it is, right? I mean, it's, it's constant in our culture. The stream of new things that you could or should have in order to, to be living the life that you should or want to live. Listen, we've got to separate from that. We've got to push back. We've just got to say, hold on, hold on, no. I don't have to have that. 
doesn't mean that I'm going to choose to always dress in the worst clothes or, or, or whatever, live in the, the run-down house. But it does mean I'm not going to let love for those things drive me. They will not be my God. And in our culture, that means we have to separate from the system. Let me give you a few specifics on what it might look like to separate from the system as we continue to look at the vision. But the first is this. Question cultural narratives and also question your motives. So you got to question the cultural narrative. If everybody's doing it, that doesn't mean you should be doing it. If everybody wants it, it doesn't mean you should want it, right? So you have to question the cultural narrative, right? Just because it's a, the fad on social media or it's what everybody's talking about at school or at work doesn't mean it's something you should be involved in. So you question the cultural narrative. But then also question your motives. Why do you want that particular thing? Why are you pursuing that particular uh, possession or, or job or, or degree or whatever it might be, right? Secondly, refuse to compromise. Refuse to compromise to fit in or to gain. Refuse to compromise just to fit in. So sometimes it's like, well, everybody else has that, so I just, I don't want to be weird, so I'm just going to go along with it, right? But when we do that, we're not coming out of Babylon. We're not separating from the system there. We're just going with the flow, Sometimes, inevitably, Christians have to be weird. We have to be different. Third, embrace your identity as a pilgrim. We get a lot on this in 1 Peter, but the idea here is that, yeah, I'm living in Babylon at the moment, but man, I'm not from here. And so I have to embrace that identity that, you know, I'm just kind of a little out of step. It's just a little odd. And so it's okay for that, for me to be a little different. It's okay for me to recognize that I'm a pilgrim passing through. This is not my home. Fourth, cling to the church. So in the midst of, you know, separating from the system, how in the world can we ever do that? Because it's actually very difficult to do. There's an immense amount of peer pressure that comes just in general in human societies. It's just a reality that we want to conform and be like others. So how are we going to do that? Well, God has blessed us with little mini societies all over the planet where we can cling to one another. We can gather and encourage one another and then we can go out for the week and we can do the things that we need to do. We can be the pilgrims. We can, we can try to be a light in a dark world. But then we come back and we gather with the saints again. And it's not just about the Sunday gathering, of course. We're talking about throughout the week, gathering with the saints, praying for one another, encouraging one another. The church is basically like a lifeline in a sense as we try to survive in Babylon. Fifth, stay close to Scripture. You know, what will help you discern the cultural narrative, what will help you discern your own motives, is the Word of God. And it is sharp. It's effective. It can help you see through the ad campaign. It can help you see through uh, whatever the cultural trend is and see through your own passions. The bottom line here is we've got to separate from the system. And that means an attitude change towards Money and possessions. And that leads into verses 9 to 19. Now, here's what's going on in 9 to 19, okay? This is the funeral song, all right? And so this is the world of unbelievers in in, in this vision, right? Mourning the judgment of Babylon, okay? A couple of notes here before we get in. We got three categories of mourners here. We've got kings and merchants and sailors, So the kings, the merchants, and the sailors, they're all going to mourn. So government, economy, economy. So it's just basically kind of covering the bases there. They've all gotten wealthy off of Babylon in this pursuit of luxury. They all kind of, you know, they they profit from it. So that's why they're mourning. 
Don't think for a minute they're not going to be judged. That's not the point. The point is not that they weren't judged. The point is here to just show you how ridiculous this is. That's the point of this funeral song. Because here God is doing a good thing in judging wickedness, but the world will mourn it. Watch how it's described in verse 9. The kings of the earth who have committed sexual immorality and shared her sensual and excessive ways will weep and mourn over her when they see the smoke from her burning. Babylon's burning and the kings are weeping and mourning. Oh no, our wealth, our luxury. Verse 10, they will stand far off in fear of her torment, saying, woe, woe, the great city of Babylon, the mighty city, for in a single hour your judgment has come. They won't see it coming, number one. And number two, they'll be sad that it's happened, right? That because, why? Because they are invested in Babylon. What Babylon offers them, they love. They fed off of it. They've gotten rich off of it. And so they're sad. The merchants are the same as the kings. Verse 11, the merchants of the earth will weep and mourn over her because no one buys their cargo any longer. And then we have a list of cargo. Watch this. Cargo of gold, silver, jewels and pearls, fine linen, purple, silk and scarlet, all kinds of fragrant, fragrant wood products, objects of ivory, objects of expensive wood, brass, iron and marble, cinnamon, spice, incense, myrrh and frankincense, wine, olive oil, fine flour and grain, cattle and sheep, horses and carriages and slaves, human lives. That's, that's a list that's actually echoing a list uh, from Ezekiel chapter 26 to 28, where Tyre, the kingdom of Tyre, a, a pagan nation, a neighbor of Israel, was judged uh, in, in Ezekiel's prophecy for the same problem, materialism, greed, wealth. Tyre was a, a shipping uh, you know, right on the coast of, of, uh, of, of just north of Israel, so it was, it was wealthy because of the, the commerce that went through there. And so here, you know, in the vision, John picks up on that image from, or the language from Ezekiel, and he says, think about all these things. And, you know, we read that list, and it's, some of that's luxury items. So some of those are, are the finest of the fine, right? But some of those things are common daily needs. The, the flour, the, the cattle, like, you know, the grain, all of that. That's, that's common stuff that everybody needs. And the point here is the merchants are mourning because no one's going to be able to buy all their stuff. Costco is going out of business in this vision, right? Pains me to say it. There we are. By the way, note the end of verse 13, the reference to slaves who in the first century were treated as possessions. But notice the little clarification there that the Spirit gifts us. Slaves, human lives. They're not possessions. So you have that corrective even there in Revelation where God's pushing you to think, you know what? People are not there to be owned or used for the advancement of your wealth. They go on, watch verse 14. The fruit you craved has left you. All your splendid and glamorous things are gone. They will never find them again. I wonder if in verse 14, I couldn't prove it, but I just wonder if that's not just a wink to Genesis chapter 3. The fruit you craved has left you. You thought all this stuff would satisfy you? you I don't know if you remember, some of you might remember, you were old enough. Uh, Queen Victoria, uh, back in the 1800s, um, she, you remember that she, she, she offered knighthood to any merchant who could bring her, her home a mangosteen from Malaysia, this like exotic fruit from Malaysia. And so she offered, I'll make anybody a knight who could bring me a mangosteen, right? And we can chuckle about that. Some of us live like that. Bring me the fruit out of season, I don't care. 
bring it home, let me enjoy it, right? It will satisfy. Listen, the fruit you crave, well, it doesn't satisfy, does it? And they'll never, the point is that that's all going to come to an end. Verse 15, the merchants of these things who became rich from her will stand far off in fear of her torment, weeping and mourning, saying, woe, woe, the great city dressed in fine linen, purple and scarlet, adorned with gold, jewels and pearls. For in a single hour, such fabulous wealth was destroyed. And every shipmaster, seafarer, and the sailors, and all who do business by sea stood far off as they watched the smoke from her burning and kept crying out, Who was like the great city? They threw dust on their heads and kept crying out, weeping and mourning, Woe, woe, the great city, where all those who have ships on the sea became rich from her wealth, for in a single hour she was destroyed. If you just pause there, you've caught it three times. Now, woe, woe, the great city, woe, woe, that was where all the wealth came from. And in a single hour, it all came crashing down. Why? Because God Almighty said, enough is enough. And before we get too worked up about seeing this apply outside of the the category of believers, we just have to remember here that this is, first and foremost, a warning to those who call themselves Christians. And the warning is, you got to be careful that you're not indoctrinated with this love of money in pursuit of material possession, because you might be infected with it. We live in Babylon. Now, the calling to unbelievers is mourn. Be sad. It's going down. Unbelievers should mourn. Now that's, of course, a warning. The warning is really to both. If you're here this morning and you're not a follower of Jesus, maybe your life is wrapped up exclusively in the pursuit of wealth. You just want to know how to make it to get to that next level, get to that early retirement, right? Enjoy the good, the good stuff in life. But there's just a caution here in this text that that's an empty pursuit. And the fruit that you crave will be gone. And it will leave you wanting. This, I, I couldn't help but think of the movie Wally. Did you ever see the, the Wally? Yeah, it's like my favorite. It's my favorite Pixar movie, seriously. Um, you need to watch it. But it, Wally, you know, looks, it's a, it's a future setting. And in the future, humanity has, uh, because they, it's just consumer mindset has kind of, you know, taken over everything. And so people, all they are are consumers. They don't even have to hardly work anymore. They've got robots to do all the work. So they just consume, 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 right? And at a certain point in the movie, it takes a ridiculous little robot to help teach a lesson that maybe, maybe humanity doesn't exist to just consume. Like maybe we're not here to just eat and buy and upgrade and eat and buy and upgrade and eat and buy and upgrade. We were created to be much more than consumers. We struggle, as the kings and the merchants and the sailors in this funeral song, we struggle sometimes to discern our needs from wants. And we struggle to rightly prioritize what God has gifted us and how should we use it for his glory. And yes, even in the slave reference, we may be tempted to use people to get what we want. You think, Pastor Ryan, I don't own any slaves. You may not own slaves, but there's still an attitude that's pervasive in humanity because of sin that says people are there to be used for my ends. Right, so I can use you to get what I want. And the message of the vision is clear. All that stuff that we're running so hard to get, all that stuff that we're lining up to have, it will be gone. All that stuff that we're sinning in pursuit of, it will be gone. And then the question is this. When all that stuff is gone, what will satisfy us? Of course, if, if we've read the message of the vision, 
right? We're up to speed on what will satisfy us. Because we don't need the possessions. We don't need the things. You don't need the house or the phone or the clothes or whatever it is to be ultimately satisfied. What you need is eternal life that's gifted by Jesus Christ alone. Take his word for it. Remember in John chapter 4 when Jesus is talking to the woman at the well and she wants water? She's there to just get water? And Jesus is like, if you ask me, I would give you water that if you drink from it, you'll never thirst again. It will become a spring of eternal life inside your soul. Talking about two different things. She's talking about getting water. He was talking about getting satisfaction. It's different. Or we could fast forward to John chapter 10, verse 10, where Jesus tells us that he came so that we would have life and have life, depends on your translation, abundantly or have life to the full. Be satisfied in our life. That's not new information. That's promised in Jeremiah chapter 2 where God says, I'm a fountain of living water. And you chase all this other stuff, but it can't satisfy you. Only I can satisfy you. And did you know that, yes, Jesus, the lamb, he was shed. His blood was shed for the forgiveness of our sins. He died for our sins and he rose from the dead. So yes, by faith in Jesus, we're forgiven of our sins. But that's not all that Jesus died to do. Jesus died so that you could be forgiven of your sins and then satisfied in him and be satisfied in him forever. He died for that. And he rose for that to show you that there's, there's more to life than just chasing stuff. Jesus says, I can satisfy you. I can give you this abundant life. You won't find it in the upgrade. You won't find it in your bank account. You won't find it in your retirement pursuits. Unbelievers may mourn, but heaven will not mourn when Babylon is judged. Watch verse 20. There's an abrupt shift here, okay? So these guys are mourning, but then... The angel says, rejoice over her, heaven, and you saints, apostles, and prophets, because God has pronounced on her the judgment she passed on you. This is the day, the day when the tables will finally be turned, and those who have oppressed the church, who have put their, foots on, or put their feet on the necks of the church, right? Those who have imprisoned and martyred Christians, those who have looked down on Christians, and in our, in our culture, those who have considered Christians to be ridiculous and to, to be backwoods, Bible thumpers, or whatever, right? Where all those who have, who have judged the church, who have opposed the church, they will themselves be judged. And so while the world mourns and cries, oh no, Babylon's gone. Oh no, Costco's burning. Oh no, there goes the Apple store up in flames. Oh no, there's Amazon trucks on fire running down the road. It's all gone down. Where will you get your stuff when the Amazon trucks are on fire, right? They're mourning, they're crying, they're weeping. But the angel says, heaven rejoice. Notice the categories. Rejoice, heaven, saints, apostles, and prophets. The people that know, know that this is not a tragedy. It's actually right and good. And it's really something that should be celebrated. We rejoice in the judgment of wickedness. Now this is hard, but watch verse 21. He goes on to describe it. Then a mighty angel picked up a stone like a large millstone and threw it in the sea, saying, in this way, Babylon the city will be thrown down violently and never be found again. You need like a cookies on the bottom shelf picture. He picks up a big rock and throws it in the sea. That's, and the rock said Babylon on it, right? This is Babylon going down. Like that's it. It's going down. And all of the 
godless pursuit of joy that's in Babylon is going down with it. That's what he describes in verses 22 and 23. The sound of harpists, musicians, flutists, and trumpeters will never be heard in you again. No craftsman of any trade will ever be found in you again. The sound of a mill will never be heard in you again. The light of a lamp will never shine in you again. And the voice of a groom and a bride will never be heard in you again. All this will happen because your merchants were the nobility of the earth, because all the nations were deceived by your sorcery. This is not a condemnation of joy here. It's a condemnation of the pursuit of joy outside of Christ. And the point is, it's all going down. It's common grace that God allows for people to have joyful lives without him at the current moment. But that will not last indefinitely. There will be a day that that will end. And that's it. The time will be up. Why? Verse 24. Because in her was found the blood of prophets and saints and of all those slaughtered on the earth. Verses 20 to 24, the call to believers is rejoice. Believers rejoice. Now, we're not rejoicing because sinners will be judged. We're rejoicing because God's justice will be done. Right? God's justice will be done. Evil will not win. The blood of the saints is not spilled in vain. That's the reference in verse 24. Again, the blood of the prophets and the saints. Okay, so it, it's, in some cultures, it's obvious and it's ugly. And you can see the headlines of Christians being abused and killed. In other cultures, it's, it's hidden. It's different. But one way or the other, evil will not win. And the suffering of the saints is not in vain. So there will be that ultimate day when those wrongs are made right. But what do, what do we do about today? Because we're not in that day yet. We look forward to that day. We should pray for that day, but what about today? Well, today we separate from the system. We separate from the system, but can I just encourage you also, stay in the game. Stay in the game. God is redeeming sinners today. And so we don't eject from Babylon physically. We stay in Babylon, and we shine the light of the gospel. And while we will rejoice when evil is judged— And when the wicked are judged, at this moment, how do we treat the wicked? With love and with care. Because you know what? That person who is wicked, that person who has not repented of their sins and trusted in Christ, God may be working in in them that very day. And so today, in the meantime, right, we stay in the game. We separate from the system, but we stay in the game. And we pursue others. God is redeeming even today. And we, we shouldn't be callous to the lost. This passage is not a justification for you to just look down your nose at the world. Because if God had not done a miracle in your heart, you would be right there with him, wouldn't you? Mourning the lost. So God's grace, God's grace, his patience is still in effect. The vision looks forward to a day when that time will be over. But today, while we draw breath right now, it's not over yet. And so, yes, we can rejoice over God's judgment of the wicked, but we also, we also pray for his mercy on sinners. So we really have to kind of hold that intention, don't we? Where, yeah, like this culture is going down, and so yeah, we don't love it, and we don't, we're not going to think like everybody else here, and we're not going to find our identity in it, but at the same time, boy, we can sure love these people. We can share the good news that they don't have to, they don't have to face the judgment of God. They can be rescued by trusting in Christ. Well, what do we do about money? Because here we are, and now we're all thinking, okay, great. I gotta, what do I do with all the wealth? What do I do with my possessions? Well, again, the issue in the, in the passage is not wealth itself. It's the love of wealth. It's the pursuit of money as a means of satisfaction. Money, possessions, what you've been gifted materially by God, those are tools to be used for God's glory. 
Those are tools to be used for God's glory. I, I put in the bulletin there for you 1 Timothy chapter 6. But notice what the Apostle Paul says here in 1 Timothy. He says, Instruct those who are rich in the present age, that's us, not to be arrogant or to set their hope on the uncertainty of wealth, but on God, who richly provides us with all things to enjoy. So yes, you can view your wealth as a gift from God. It may be a temptation, but it's also a gift. Instruct them to do what is good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and willing to share, storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of what is truly life. Your money is not truly life. Your house is not truly life. Your golden parachute for retirement is not truly life. So yes, you maybe have been blessed with with money. We've all been blessed with significant financial resources. Use them as tools for God's glory. Three ways you should think about using your possessions and your money for God's glory. It's not that complicated, okay? First one, provide for your family. Provide for your family. Uh, It is a tragic, uh, it's hard, okay? It's, It's a tragedy in the world in which we live, how um, online gambling, right, is now available to, to every, everyone, at least in the state of New Jersey, we have access to it. And um, it's sad to me that fathers will gamble, gamble the money that God has given them to take care of their family so that they can get more toys. So I just think we just got to be aware that God has gifted you money to provide for your family, so you should use it for that, right? Secondly, though, be generous to those in need. There are some people who don't have what you have. And as you have opportunity to bless people who are in need, then bless those people. Give. It's not yours anyway, right? Be faithful in that. Um, You might think, well, Pastor Ryan, I don't know anybody in need. Well, you probably do, and you just don't know it, number one. But number two, that's why we have ministries like My Brother's Place and others where we're we're trying to be aware of where our needs in our community that we can actually be generous with the funds that God has given us, and we can meet those needs. It makes a huge difference. And we could tell you story after story in that specific scenario with my brother's place of how God has used faithful saints who have given not even that much, but man, God has used that to turn the entire trajectory of families' lives around, not just physically, but even spiritually, because they were willing to, to give and to meet a need, right? To sacrifice financially for that. So provide for your family, be generous to those in need, and third, advance the cause of the gospel. That's it. That's why God gives us money those three things. There you go. And, and so you just have to pray through and go, okay, Lord, am I rightly ordering my finances? Am I providing for my family? That includes, yes, it includes education. It includes looking to retirement, all those things. Am I reasonably providing for my family? Or have I turned that into an idol? Right? Have I, have I made it my God? Is this what I think is going to satisfy? Am I being generous? Am I meeting needs? And am I strategically investing the resources you've given me for the advancement of your kingdom? Believers separate from the system. At the end of the day here in Revelation chapter 18, there's this reminder that satisfaction in Christ frees us from slavery to greed. Did you know that because of Jesus, you don't have to, you don't have to chase the money and the stuff just like everybody else. You're freed from it. Because of Jesus. So I don't know what's tempting to you. Um, I, I, it, it pains me to say that in the month of October, Amazon sent us the Christmas gift catalog. Did you get yours? I got mine. Yeah. And I didn't even just throw it away. I looked through it. I'm ashamed to admit it. Right? 
The thing about that is, I don't know what's going to hit you. Something is, something's going to be different for you than it's going to be for me, right? We're all going to have our different temptations there. I don't know what it is that's going to tempt you. But the message of Revelation 18 is, listen, just be careful. Come out. Separate from the system. Push back a little bit, right? You don't have to have it all. And if the vision isn't doing the job, we could think about that moment in Jesus' ministry in Matthew chapter 19 when the wealthy man came to Jesus and he said, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? Remember, Jesus said, basically, you know, keep the Ten Commandments. That wasn't an offer of work salvation, right? He was trying to make a point. And the guy says, well, actually, I've done pretty good keeping the Ten Commandments. I'm, I'm good then. And Jesus said, oh, well, one more thing. Sell everything you have and give it to the poor. Matthew 19, verse 21. When the young man heard that, he went away grieving because he had many possessions. Jesus went on, truly, I tell you, it will be hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. Why? Because kings and merchants and sailors have convinced us that we need this stuff, that we need more money, that we've got to get and get and get and consume and consume and consume. And it was such a problem in the heart of this young man, or this rich man, that he walked away he said, oh, I don't want the kingdom of heaven. I'd rather have my stuff. That is why we must separate from the system. Brothers and sisters, may God help us to stand apart and to come out of Babylon. Would you pray with me and we'll ask for help with our attitude toward money. Lord, we pause again this morning and we confess that we live in a culture that is addicted to consuming Lord, in in many ways, wealth and material resources, even technology, Lord, is a blessing and can be used for your glory, and we thank you for that. But we also know there's so much temptation, Lord, for us to turn money, to turn possessions into our God, to follow the people around us. And so, Lord, we pray and ask that you would help us. Help us, because we have trusted in you, Lord Jesus, not to be greedy and not to be materialistic. Lord, may we see that our satisfaction doesn't come from having the nicest things or eating the the most choice foods or or having the most rare possessions, but Lord, our satisfaction comes solely from you. You are the only source of eternal joy and peace and contentment. And Lord, help us to remember that today. And Lord, help us to navigate the the advertising, saturated days in which we live. Lord, help us to navigate the peer pressure, the the pressure from social media to get and to want and to have the new things. Lord, we pray that you would help us to be content in you, to separate from the system, even when it costs us, Lord. Lord, we pray that you would help us to use the resources you have so generously given us for your glory, to provide for our families, Lord, to, to be generous to those who have needs, and ultimately to advance your kingdom. Lord, help us to have heavenly priorities with our physical, earthly resources. Lord, we thank you for the hope that there is even today as you rescue sinners out of Babylon. We pray that you would use us as lights in this dark culture to show your love to this world. 
Lord, protect us from arrogance and pride of even looking down our nose at, at this culture in which we live, but rather to see the opportunity for what it is. Lord, help us not to be influenced by Babylon. Help us to come out of it. But as we do so, Lord, may we bring others with us. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.